You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Our God, we thank you for saving us through your Son, Jesus. And we pray that you would humble our hearts so that we may listen intently at what your word says. Give us the strength to be faithful and trust in both your greatness and your goodness. Amen. Honour. It's a pretty foreign concept and it's, it's not a word that we hear too often. And even when we do, it's usually in the context of, of a joke, like dishonouring my family if I bring back a B for my mass test. I pray to God that's not what honour means, otherwise I've been dishonouring my family since I was born. But when we take a minute to actually think about what honour means, or what it looks like, I wonder what comes to your mind. Maybe respect? Maybe a reward? Maybe a medal? But let's go even further than that. Why should we honour? What does honour do? And who do we honour? In today's passage, we'll see that honour is an essential part of our Christian family. In fact, the big idea for today is that is honour good leaders, is to honour good leaders. And we'll look at two reasons why. Because good leaders breed good family and bad leaders break any family. That's going to make the structure of today's sermon. Good leaders breed good family and bad leaders break any family. So let's zoom in to the first reason. Look with me at verse 17. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Paul's instruction is just that. It's an instruction, and it's easy to take it at face value. Paul wants us to honour older men, but not just older men, those who are good leaders, but not just good leaders, good leaders who preach. But on a closer look, the word honour in verse 17 is the same word used in verse 3, where it says to support widows. In ESV, it does say honour widows. But Paul in this passage says double. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a double cheeseburger. To my mind, a double cheeseburger is exponentially better than a single cheeseburger. But something doesn't make sense. Why are we supposed to honour these older men so much? I mean, scanning through verses 3 to 10, these older widows have proven themselves in godliness year upon year for over 60 years. They've laboured to take care of their parents. They show hospitality. They spiritually nurture both their children and their grandchildren. All of this whilst being widows, whilst bearing the loss of their husbands. So what is so special about these leaders that they're worthy of double honour? Again, it's because they're good and because they teach. Simple, right? But let's double click on good. You see, to be a good leader, you have to fulfill the role you've been given. Live up to the qualifications. Some of you may remember back in chapter 3, where Paul gives Timothy a list of qualifications. Things like above reproach, faithful, not a bully, gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, and able to teach. So being a good leader is is doing all of those things. 
But in particular, in our passage today, Paul calls out teaching, doesn't he? And it's not just here, but it's seen throughout the letter. Teaching is everywhere in 1 Timothy. But in particular, it's also in chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul tells Timothy how to be a good servant of Christ Jesus, which is remarkably similar. 4 verse 6 says, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. So a good teacher not only fulfills his duties, but is nourished by the same truths that they teach. If you're new to Crossing Crown, a huge welcome again. Uh, it's great to have you. You might be joining us in the middle of this series and, and be wondering what, what this teaching is. If only we had a course to explain it and provide a safe environment for discussion. You're in luck. We do. Uh, in May, we'll be hosting the Gospel in Four Meals. It'll be a great time to flesh out this teaching. But for now, I'll give you a teaser. The teaching is that we were running away from God, the source of life. So we were running straight to death. But God in his mercy sent his son, Jesus, to take the blinders off our eyes and turn back to him. And as we turned back to him, we found that the approval from money and power and reputation never satisfied. And we find that the approval of God, our creator, is worth infinitely more than the approval of a billion humans. Tune in to the Gospel in Formulas to taste and see this teaching for even more. Good leaders are gripped by that teaching, and so they teach it. But also the family needs to be gripped by God's teaching, such that we can't help but honour those who grow us in it. When we honour good leadership, we encourage them to keep doing what they're doing, it's a bit of a win-win. Good leadership breeds a good family. But you might be asking, okay, I, I, I guess I can see how good leadership breeds good family, but how, how can I honor them? What does that mean? What does it look like? Do I bring home an A-plus for my Bible study homework? Let me give you three ways that we can honor good leadership. Firstly is pray. Second is pay. And thirdly is protect them. Pray for them, pay them, and protect them. So firstly, pray. These godly men are shepherds of the church, but God is their shepherd. And so it makes sense that we should pray for them to be equipped by he who equips. And we can honor them by thanking God for giving them to us and praying for their continual growth in Christ, their continual growth in the truth that they teach. So this week in your BLTs, why not mention uh, a leader as one of your prayer points? Or better yet, why not text them to see how they're going so you can pray for them? Honour good leaders. Pray for them. Second is what Paul says in verse 18, and it probably is what he directly means by double honour. It's pay for them. Verse 18 says, For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And the worker is worthy of his wages. See, Paul here is referencing the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, where God commands the Israelites to let the oxen eat whilst they're working hard. And he references this same verse in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 9, where he points out that if God wants to take care of such hardworking animals, how much more 
should we take care of those who teach us the life-giving words of God? A while ago, Adam said, uh, it may seem that pastors are six days invisible and one day incomprehensible. But behind the scenes, pastors are laboring hard to deliver a faithful message to their flock. Hours upon hours are spent delving into God's word to understand the passage, research commentaries and sermons, and then thinking about how to contextualize it and package these principles in a way that we can understand. And this is notwithstanding all the pastoral work that they do in between. Caring for people, going through breakups, mental issues, or, or family hardships. It's not just a time commitment. It's an emotional commitment and a spiritual commitment. So Paul implores Timothy to, and his church to take care of these teachers financially. Now you might be thinking, couldn't we be spending our church budget on things like mission or, or poverty? And absolutely, and we do that here at Crossing Crown. But giving to other areas is never at the expense of giving to our local ministry here. And in fact, giving to our local ministry here is a priority. It's a biblical imperative. We need to support our pastors so that they can focus on the teaching and preaching of the word instead of financial issues. Essentially, Paul wants us to put our money where our mouths are. If you're a Christian and say that you've been changed by the gospel and transformed by its life-giving truths, then why not honour those who labour hard to deliver it? Uh, if you're a member here at Crossing Crown, uh, you can find out how to support the gospel by going on our website uh, and clicking on the support button. Or feel free to talk to Cassie, Yam or, or myself. Uh, but if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, again, welcome. I want to be really clear and, and really blunt. We really don't want your money. What we want is for you to get to know the God and gospel which motivates good leadership. So why not ask a Christian friend, what is so valuable about the gospel that you give your hard-earned money? Honour good leaders. Pay them. The third way to honour our leaders is to protect them. Paul in verse 19 says that elders need to be protected from false accusations. Verse 19 says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. You see, elders who have proven themselves to be good leaders shouldn't be flippantly taken down. Remember the context. There are false teachers hiding and waiting for the right opportunity to take down godly leadership. So Paul commissions Timothy to build a kind of protective layer. He wants to stop unsubstantiated accusations from wicked men. For if good leadership breeds good family, Paul wants to see both protected by Timothy. And now Paul is giving, Paul is giving an explicit instruction to Timothy as a senior pastor. But the congregation can still do their bit to protect their leaders. Uh, for example, words. Um, words matter. It's so easy for us to make unwitting comments about our leaders that causes others to question their leadership. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that leaders have a free pass. And in fact, Paul has something to say in that regard in the next few verses. But what I am saying is this. When you talk about another leader or about a pastor, think about the effect of your words. 
Words can cause members to, to close up to otherwise faithful and godly leadership. But on the positive side, words can help more skeptical members understand them better, open up to them. Honour good leaders. They bring life-giving truths. Pray for them, pay them, and protect them. For good leadership breeds good family. Now, some of you may say, but Mark, there are so many leaders that abuse that honour. So many stories of failed leadership at church, even by those who once seemed good. And some of you may have been directly affected by them. And you're right. If good leadership breeds good family, then bad leaders break any family. And it is heartbreaking. But let's remember who's writing this. It's Paul. He's not being an idealist. Remember, Timothy's church is full of false teachers. He's well aware of them. And just like us, Paul has been heartbroken by leaders who deserted him, who betrayed him. And so Paul's tone shifts. He's done talking about honour and protection. In verse 20 to 25, he gives us two principles to fight bad leadership. Treat sin seriously and be patient. Verse 20 says, Publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. The first principle is treat sin seriously. Now I want to note, by giving us instructions on how to treat leaders who sin, Paul presumes there will be leaders who sin. Paul knows that no church is immune from bad or sinful leadership this side of heaven. And in some ways, it helps us form more realistic expectations. But whilst we might expect bad leadership, we do not approve of it. We need to fight it. Stand against what God stands against. I mean, if we continued to honour such leaders, what would that say of our God? Who we honour at our church shows who our God is. So honour good leaders. But what are the sins that Paul is mentioning here? Uh, well, given the context, it could be uh, false teaching, could be abuse or gossip, uh, greed or, or a scandal. Uh, I'm going to suggest that it's not just any sin, but sins that have a public impact. In the case of false teaching, you can imagine how it would cause the church to take side, splitting it in two. Families would start arguing. And it they wouldn't be arguing so much about the doctrine, but more about the leader. They'd be focusing less about God and more about anything else. Bad leadership breaks any family. So rebuking publicly will protect the family from false doctrine or abuse. And it reinforces the standard that is expected of the other leaders. It helps elders realize the importance and impact of their role. And it may sort out good leaders from bad. If a good leader is caught in such a sin, it gives them a chance to repent publicly. So whilst their sin proves their imperfection, their repentance proves their faith. However, if found guilty and are still unrepentant, they need to be brought to justice. Read with me verse 21. 
I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. You see, Paul places God in front of Timothy's eyes as if he's in a court. He reminds Timothy that as a senior pastor, he needs to execute his judgment with reverence. In other words, Paul is saying to Timothy, when you're standing in front of an elder who's been accused of sin, don't let your relationship with this person sway your judgment because you're not there to please them, nor are you there to please the accuser. You hold an audience with God, with Christ, the judge of all humanity, with angels who are the caretakers of the church, and they chiefly care about the welfare of the church, of the family, and they'll hold you to account. Imagine having to put aside a relationship with a deeply loved friend so that you can be objective in judgment. And I know this is a difficult passage, but this is where we know Paul's not haphazardly exalting leaders as if he's starry-eyed by leadership. See, Paul's concern is for God's family, their protection and maturity. He wants to destroy anything that would tear it apart. Scandals, false teaching, bullying, pride, any other public sins all need to be extinguished. Not being swept under the carpet, but by being dealt with. Honour good leaders, because bad leadership breaks any family. So treat sin seriously. The second principle Paul shares to fight against sin is to be patient. Let's read 22 to 25. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder. And don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment. But the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious. And those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Before we uh, unpack that, let me address the elephant in the room. I skipped reading verse 23. Uh, Verse 23 says, Don't continue drinking only water. But use a little wine because of your stomach and frequent illness. Uh, Verse 23 reminds me that Paul is a human. It's like he had a a random thought pop into his head and he he wrote it down. I've been there. Uh, But I'll be up front. I I have no idea what it means. Uh, Maybe the false teachers are condemning anyone who drinks alcohol uh, and wants Paul to work against that. Maybe he's saying you don't need to give up on alcohol uh, to be an elder. Or maybe he's just giving legitimate medical advice. Uh, Mercifully, I don't think uh, it overly affects how we understand this passage. So with that said, let's go ahead and unpack 22 to 25. Paul's telling Timothy to be patient in choosing elders for three reasons. First, to avoid public scandals. Verse 22 says, don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. In other words, if you're too quick and they're found to be scandalous, you inherit their sin. Maybe at an older church, they were caught being greedy, but instead of repenting, they just left out of pride. And when they came to your church, they seemed wise and and kind and, and experienced. And they're probably better at wearing masks after they've been caught. They see even seem like good candidates for leadership. Paul says your church will inherit their reputation. 
So keep yourself pure and away from such men. You see, Paul wants to remove anything that hinders the preaching of the gospel to the family of God. Scandals are distractions that absorb attention away from the truths that really matter. Truths that glue the family together. So be patient and avoid scandals. Secondly is avoid private sin. Verse 24 says, Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment. But the sins of others surface later. Isn't it so easy to be enamored by showmanship? But then we miss the slight hints of greed, the slight hints of of pride and of slander. Yet it's those slight hints, left unchecked, that lead to hurt and pain within the family. They start tearing apart the family at the seams. So be patient, observe, avoid private sin. The thirdly is a positive one. Watch for quiet good works. Verse 25 says, Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. These quiet good works show one's heart. They show one's character, even more so than the public ones, as recognition is less of the agenda. They may be those who helped clean the kitchen when they're not on duty so that others can talk. Or maybe they welcome newcomers, even if they're not on the welcoming team, because they have a welcoming heart. Maybe they stack the chairs away or care for those who are lonely. Some good works then aren't obvious, but over time, the effect of these hidden works are what glue the church together. The good works of someone who has a humble heart of love will always surface over time. So be patient. Avoid public scandals. Avoid private sin and watch for good works. Bad leadership breaks any family. So treat sin seriously and be patient. Now, it may sound overly simplistic and a bit idealistic. I mean, it can't possibly be that easy. Can we avoid all church politics by following these principles? But whilst the principles are simple, They're really hard to execute. And there'll be a time where our pastors have to execute it. They'll have to treat sin seriously. And as a congregation, we need to be understanding and we need to be supportive because he'll need it. You can imagine how gut-wrenching it would have to be to exercise discipline on a close friend or leader, particularly one that he's signed off on. And there are so many layers that Satan can use to dissuade him. Is it really that big a deal? Do I really want to worry the congregation about this? Is this a reflection of my poor leadership? Aren't I loving this leader by not bringing him shame and disrepute? It's a battle. So our pastors need our support. We need to foster an environment where it's safe for sin to be treated seriously. Now, I don't think this means every week we have an hour after church where we go around the circle sharing how bad our leaders are. Again, I do think this is in regards to serious public sin that has serious public ramifications. Uh, Back at Weekend Away, Marcus Reeves, uh, who's been a pastor for many years, suggested how he's handled these sorts of disciplinary issues. If he receives a a worrying report, he first approaches uh, the accused in in a calm manner. He makes them aware of the report and schedules a coffee at at a later date. 
lest the leader get unduly defensive or heated in the moment. They have a discussion, and if the accusations are found to be true, he prompts the leader to repent. But in the case of unrepentance, appropriate public discipline will need to be required. Because bad leadership breaks any family, and it needs to be dealt with. Now for us here at Cross and Crown, it may seem far-fetched that we would struggle with serious sin. I mean, we're barely a year old. Uh, We've just hit our groove. BLTs are getting closer. Preaching is, is good. Good systems are being put into place. I mean, coronavirus couldn't break us. But let's be on our guard. Jesus hasn't come back yet, so we still live in a world riddled with sin. And Satan is looking for any chance he can get to tear down the church. And he has a special eye for leaders. They're the quickest way to make a church crumble and prevent the teaching of the word. But if we listen to Paul's words and honor good leaders, we encourage them to keep growing in the Lord as they grow us. We strengthen them to fight against Satan's temptations. And if they fall, we treat sin seriously. We minimize its effects and repent quickly. We won't be a family that sweeps sin under the rug. We'll deal with it, even if it's uncomfortable. Because whilst we know sin is serious, we know God's grace is bigger. So let's honor good leaders and declare what our God stands for and what he doesn't. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the leaders that you have given us, the leaders that have fed into our lives. Uh, We pray that we would be so captivated by the truths that you have delivered to us through them that we can't help but honour anyone who delivers it to us. Lord, we pray that you give us the strength and the selflessness to take care of our good leaders as they take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen.